0: All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, just turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15 will be our passage this morning. Um, I'd like to uh, bring you a message this morning on a popular passage, a passage about a, a wayward son, the prodigal son, and there's some comparisons I'd like to make this morning with with uh, how he lived his life, and yet uh, part of the focus in the message will be on the, the, the love of the father. Um, I like to begin messages with a passage, and there's a passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, that just really helps us introduce this message this morning. The Lord tells us in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The love of the Father, the lavishing love that he bestows upon us, that he lets us be his children. And then another passage just to throw at you too, Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Just some introductory verses as we, we get into this message this morning. As probably you know, Luke 15 has uh, three parables. Parables the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And that'll be our focus this morning. But if you have your Bibles open, the book of Luke, if you just look at those first two verses of Luke chapter 15, just to kind of understand who the Lord's addressing here. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners, the Lord Jesus. He welcomes us because I believe as I look around, you're all sinners. I'm a sinner. And I think that's important that we understand that, that Jesus welcomes sinners. Yet often we, we become like the Pharisees, even though the Pharisees were sinners too, but there's a self-righteousness, there's a haughtiness about us, and sometimes we feel like we have that, that right to judge. So let's focus on this prodigal son this morning. And, and as we think of parables, uh, a parable is simply a story Jesus told to, to emphasize a point that he wanted to teach. Um, and as we look at these first 11, these first, uh, the first section of, of this parable, uh, and as we look at this prodigal, Think of this phrase we often use, oh brother, oh brother, why would the father lavish his love on us? Uh, Often in our conversations, we use that phrase, you you want me to do what? You want me to forgive? So so keep that in mind as we go through this um, and and also understand that, that God never gives up on us. So we should never give up on those God puts in our lives. It's amazing to me this father's love in this story. In your notes, we can model this love. We can model God's love and learn to express that love to others and those around us. So notice with me the way the father poured out his love on this prodigal. And as we focus on the father son relationship this morning, always remember that God wants us to, to focus on those generations that are around us, to pass on those truths to those around us, those children, if He's uh, entrusted them to you, or grandchildren. Some of you may be even great grandchildren. And it's important that you, we demonstrate and we model that, that love of God's truth to the next generation. You know, a little phrase just to kind of help me introduce this. You know, most of you uh, who know me a little bit, I, I, I love my mom. She's become a, uh, a counselor, a friend. She's getting a little up there in years. She's uh, toward the end of her, her, her 80s. Uh, she's starting to battle dementia. Um, but but she, she said several things. She's a simple woman. But one of the things she would often say was, Gary. Charity begins at home. Charity begins at home. She used to say that, and of course, being uh, not the sharpest tool in the shed like I am, I used to well, what's charity mean? Because, you know, that's that old King James word for love. And once I realized, oh, okay, love begins at home. That, that's where, uh, you know, as I think back to the early years of my childhood, you know, love was definitely portrayed in our home. And we see love in this home. This morning. So just a a takeoff as we introduce this. Now, verses 11 through 24, let me read it to you. This is in the New King James translation. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish here with hunger? I will rise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he is still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. I like how one commentator puts it this way when referring to this parable of the lost son. First of all, he was sick at home. Then after experiencing being away, he just plain got sick. And then he got homesick, and then he makes himself back home. And you know, there's no place like home. And I think that's where this uh, son came about thinking here toward the end of this parable. But as we look at this, I'd like to just see three ways the father modeled lavish love, Christ-like love. The first thing I see he does in the first couple verses of uh, of this parable is he he just basically said, "Son, you're free." You're free. And we find this young man who wants his freedom. He doesn't want the restraints of home anymore. Dad doesn't seem smart enough anymore at this point. And you know, it's interesting. We're in different seasons. But you know, you get those little babies, and all they do is lay there and cry and sleep and eat. And then they cry some more, and then after you have to feed them, they sleep, and then mess their diaper, and then they're good again. And then they start to grow, and then there they, are twos and threes. Some call them the terrible twos, or, or I like to say the terrible threes because it seems like when they get in the threes, they get more terrible than they were in the twos. But, you know, you, you as parents or even grandparents, if God's given you that role, is to, to just seek to be a disciplinarian there, to give them guidelines. And sometimes we get fooled into thinking, well, you know, they don't need discipline yet, but that's the furthest thing from the truth. And then they get to be school-age children. I don't know about you, but I remember those school-age children, especially, you know, those elementary years, those were just great years of richness when your kids just really seemed to, you know, embrace you. And yet it's important that we take time to have a relationship with them. And then those junior high years come, and they start to think, well, you know, maybe mom, dad, they don't quite have it all together. Maybe my friends have a little more insight. I remember this was really true with my daughter. She thought her friends knew more than we did, so we would let her friends Try to teach her, and she sometimes would come back to, well, you know, maybe my friend hasn't been around the block as much as you guys, uh, but, but we get to a point then that, that they college age, and, and it's time to just kind of release the, the apron strings, and, and that's where, where this son was. His dad just, you know what, let him go. Uh, there's a restlessness here. And dad said, you're free. And there's an arrogance I think we can see here. Now, we do know that sometimes the father did give an inheritance to his kids while he was still alive. In fact, Deuteronomy 21 teaches that. The older son would get two-thirds, and then the younger would get a third. And in this case, dad thought it was best. So so he distributes his wealth to his son. And some might think, well, dad just. Maybe didn't have the right balance here either. But, you know, obviously the the father knew from his perspective it was best. So they part ways. And I see a sadness, really, with this father. And I know that because of the way he just kept looking for his son. And the son is like, I got it all figured out. And I got a note here. Our worst problems often come when we do whatever we want. Often, whatever we think is best for us. But, but I know in, in, in my case, when, when I get in the way and think I know best, that's when I'm in trouble. L- let me throw a proverb at you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. In fact, uh, we, we often stop at verse 6, but I just like how this reads. And I think it's a good place to interject it for us. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. The King James says, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And then we sometimes leave verse 7 off, but let me just give it to us this morning. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Depart from evil. And again, seven helps us solidify that truth that, you know, when we get leaning on our own understanding, when we think we're wise in our own eyes, you know, that's when we get off the path. And that's where this this prodigal was. He's leaning on his own understanding, he wants to direct his own path. But what's interesting is not so much that that he wanted his his inheritance or even that he wanted out of the, the, the home the way he did. But, but once that took place, once he received that he's gone, verse 13 says there just was a few short days that, that, that the younger son gathered all he had and he journeyed to the far country. And he wasted what God had given him, what his father had given him. Now, the word prodigal has some, some meaning that I thought was interesting. It means reckless. It means uh, extravagant and, and, and the prodigal lived lavishly but there's also a, a comparison some call this uh, a, a lesson on the prodigal God here because God lavishly generously gives the love to the son and so that's, that's safe too so it has a, a double meaning but, but the idea of lavish living of, of, of generous living the dads just go go He gave his son freedom. And what what he's saying here, son, I value more you than these possessions. I value more than even the position I hold. You know, I'm your dad, but I'm releasing you. And again... Maybe you're questioning the father's motives. But, but again, the picture is the father realized that this was a time to release his son. You're, you're free. Now, there's some things about freedom here that, that I think need to be pointed out. And I know this because I've experienced this. First of all, when it comes to freedom, you know, sin we think, promises freedom. And, and that's a, a thought on your notes here. You know, the, the, the prodigal son here w- w- was full of sin. And he thought to him, well, you know, I'll just take my freedom. I don't want the restraints of home anymore. I, I don't want the authority of dad anymore. And, and he thought, I'm free. But I love how Jesus tells us in John 8, verse 34... It says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I think we probably all could agree with that. You know, as we live life, there's times where probably, if you're like me, you, you sin at different times. And, and often we think, well, I'll just keep sinning, but, but what, what we become a slave to sin. It just becomes easier. And, and, you know, we have different sins sometimes that I believe Hebrews calls besetting sins. You know, some of the sins that maybe you struggle with, I don't, or vice versa. Uh, some don't understand. I know the wife I'm married to, thankfully, she doesn't understand that I could sin the way I do with certain things. Well, I don't understand her sins either. Um, but, but the thing is, we, we can't be a slave to sin. In fact, sin produces bondage. And, and again, Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. There's, there's bondage in our sin. I, I heard a, a teaching on sin before, and I thought it really fit, and we can throw it in here. It says, sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always keeps you longer than you want to stay. And sin costs you more than you want to pay takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. And as I think of the, the powers that, that, that Satan throws at us, those darts, he always takes us down the wrong path to despair and heartache and to bondage. Yet, God sets us free. God sets us free. Jesus tells us in John eight thirty two then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's freedom in truth. There's freedom in Jesus. It's important that we understand this, that God gives us freedom when we surrender to him, when we surrender to his truth. So what's great about this first thought is the father modeled freedom. Modeled freedom. He also models, I love you. I love you. In verse 20, he he comes to his senses, this prodigal son, and, and he comes to his dad. And the verse tells us when he's still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. He kissed him. So when he comes to his senses, he gets up. And he goes to his father. You know, the the, the freedom that he thought sin would give, the bondage takes place. And the result is, you know, I know where freedom is. It's with father. It's with dad. You know, he'd forgotten a lot when he made a decision to leave home. But when he comes to his senses, he remembered a loving father who took care of. Of his lowly servants. Now, what I notice here about this love is the, the father did not go out and seek his son. The boy remembers Dad's goodness, and that it's what brought him to repentance and forgiveness. He knew that Dad loved him. What a picture of our heavenly Father. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, if you draw near to me, he'll draw near to you. If you come to him, you who are weary and heavy laden, he'll give you rest. So as I think of this idea of I love you with dad, there's a hurt that he has for his son. The dad hurt for his boy. He left suddenly, abruptly. Give me. You see the entitlement in his uh, actions. (laughs) I remember hearing of a little girl, four year old. She had a doll in both arms and she looked at her mama and said, mom, I love them both, but they just don't love me back. And again, I think this, we, we can kind of get this idea the dad is he hurts <clears throat> for his son. There's, you, you know, freedom, take it. Enjoy life. Go prove your manhood. There is an aching in his heart, a hurt for his son. And, and you, you know, he, you picture as you look at this maybe he'll come home today. Because you get it from the passage that he just looks daily. Maybe he'll come home today. And that leads us to the second thought here. He kept hoping. The dad kept hoping for his son. He's still a far way off, and he sees his son. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. You know, maybe you're dealing with a prodigal at different seasons. Probably all of us do to some degree. But don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You know, I had a pastor friend, Pastor Massey, uh, who I served with for many years in Ohio. And I remember after one of the pastors' meetings, I never knew this about him, but he came to me and we just got talking, and and he had an adult son uh, who he hadn't seen for years. And and I, as I talked to him further about his story, he said, you know, my son, uh, he left home abruptly. He was last seen at an ATM machine, and we never knew what happened to him. And he pulled out a little picture of his wallet, and he showed me his picture. He says, this is my son. We just keep hoping and praying that, that one day our son will come home. So there's a hope for his son from dad. Um, I think there's some wisdom here. You know, again, just a little side note to this. Just to, if you jump down to verse 28. Verse 28. He handles his sons differently. The older son, who believed he never left, at least outwardly, he hears what takes place, and the servant comes to him. And notice what verse 28 says, But he was angry, would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. The dad lets the older brother explain himself, and then he said, Son, you've always been with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should marry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and now is found. So there's a different reaction here as the father pleads with this older son. And and really there's a directness here as you read this that son you need to be godly. You need to be acting more in a godly manner. And yet the wisdom... That this dad had for his sons. That he treated totally different. So he hurts for his son. He hopes for his son. And then there's one more age. The dad hugs his son. The dad hugs his son. Verse 20 says. And the great tense of this word. Tells us when they had that reunion. As they come together. He has compassion. He falls on his neck. And he kisses him. And the idea of the word tells he just kissed them and kissed them and kissed them. And you know what? Man, there's nothing wrong with kissing your sons. There's nothing wrong with, with showing physical emotion to your son. That's healthy. That's good. You know, these last six weeks or so, it seems like I've been a widower. <laughs> you know, we, we have a new grandson who lives in Florida. And these last two months, really, our, our youngest daughter, she's married to a fellow who, who pastors, was pastoring a church in Virginia. And they abruptly moved to Florida. And they needed mom to, with the move and all that stuff. And then the baby comes. So I, I've just felt like a widower. you know. You, I can microwave hot dogs, but that's about it. In fact, when you blow them up and get, they get rubbery, they really have great effect on you. <laughs> Anyway, but but I know uh, last Saturday, I actually got to go to Florida and meet my new grandson. His name's Noah. He likes boats. And uh, (laughs) I get to Florida, and I get to the airport. And again, it's been a while since I've, I've seen my wife. And I get to the airport, and you see all these people. You know, airports are fun places to go. Because you see all these people they come together and they have those reunions, and, you know you, I don't know about you, but I look at, them and I think, well, you know, I wonder what that's like. I wonder where they're coming from, or where this or that. But I, I get to my airport or the airport in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, and there's my son-in-law. She sends my son-in-law to pick me up, so it's like, that's not the blessed reunion I was looking for. So I get there and it's kind of I give him one of these side hugs like okay good to see you where's my wife you know but you know understanding that she she needed to be at home to do some of the things to uh, help my daughter but but again there's there's that hope you you see that anticipation of 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 coming together and again um, it's important that we. Embrace that we show physical emotion. You know, I got I got a thought here that that really fits um, I love golf some of you have heard of Greg Norman Greg Norman was a is a golfer. He's older now um, But he he refers to his dad in his relationship and, and obviously he was a dad who never showed any emotion toward his son And he said you know my dad when I was a kid he'd get off the airplane and I'd want to hug my dad and embrace my dad, but he'd reach out and he'd just shake my hand. Now listen to what it says. Norman, who lost the Masters in 1996 by blowing a six-shot lead to rival Nick Faldo. Rick Riley wrote, Now as Faldo made one last thrust into Norman's heart with a 15-foot birdie putt on the 72nd hole, the two of them came toward each other, Norman, trying to smile, looking for a handshake, he finds himself in the warmest embrace instead. And as they held that hug, they both began to cry. And Norman's life began to change a little that day. He he said, I wasn't crying because I'd lost. Norman said the next day, I've lost tons of golf tournaments and I'll lose more. I was crying because I've never felt that from another man before. I've never had a hug like that in my life. Hug your kids, give them healthy, strong hugs, let them know they're loved. And the most valuable thing we can do is give unconditional love. And, and again, a lot of times we're, we're not huggers. We're not maybe uh, from homes. I, I grew up not getting lots of hugs. Uh, but, but it's important that we learn to, to have that. Now, when I golf, I cry because I lose. <laughs> In this case, Norman cried because of the emotions that just came as a result of, of, of a man demonstrating A genuineness with him. 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. Let me read it to you. 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. We see a dad here who loved in speech. He loved in actions. He loved with God's truth. Love. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Love Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's from God's word, 1 Corinthians 13. And then there's one more. As we see a a loving father, a model was love of freedom, his love of I love you, his love of it's all forgiven. It's all under the blood. We see this in verses 21 through 24 where the dad says, quick, bring out the robe. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Let's kill the fatted calf. There's immediate forgiveness. Let's have a party. All's forgiven. Now, when I think of forgiveness... First of all, restoring fellowship is more important than being right. Is more important than being right. As I see this in verse 20, he arose, he came to his father, he's still a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know, he he doesn't give the lecture like probably I would have done. Like, didn't you know better? Didn't I tell you? Or I knew sooner or later you'd be back. Maybe you use this line. I hope you learned your lesson this time, pal. You know what you did to our family? You've disgraced your mother. You've disgraced your dad. Nothing like that. There's no ego. There's no pride from this father. It's just immediate fellowship. You, You know, here's a little note for us. Let love and honor become the norm. Let love and honor become the norm. I just threw that out there. I have that in my notes here beside this. Learn to be an honoring person, a loving person. Just May that be the norm in your home. And then the second thought here, when we think of all is forgiven, restoring fellowship happens through forgiveness. Happens Through forgiveness. I will rise. I'll go to my father. And I'm going to say. I've sinned against heaven. And before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now again for a Jewish boy. To be a servant. And to hang around with the pigs you know. Because you know pork. He was very uh, humbled. By this. And yet. He comes to a sentence, his, his, his senses, and he comes home. The son knew he was wrong. And that's something I take from this parable as well. He's not so much sorry he got caught. Because if you look in the passage, it says, I've sinned against heaven. You know, it's God that I hurt. You know, there's genuine repentance here. You know, he, he's sorry that he hurt his loving father. The loving father. He models forgiveness. He runs to his son. He, he, he gives a robe to his son, a ring to his son, sandals to his son. Again, love, respect, and honor. There's not an, oh, brother, I have to do this. There's an attitude of, I get to love my son back to Christ. Have you ever thought how different our homes could be, our church could be, the workplace could be, if we modeled this loving forgiveness, this respect that that God shows in this passage? If we could run to make things right with people. If we could be faithful and and realize that, you know, why does it matter in light of eternity? This boy brought disgrace to the family, disgrace to the village. He could have been stoned to death. But his father shows grace, mercy, and he welcomes him home with open arms. How the heavenly father treats us so really we see the prodigal god in this passage because he's generously lavishly displaying his love to a lost and dying world to a lost and dying people like us i like how tozer makes mention of this loving father And this is what he says. I'll I'll read it to you. Because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because God is eternal, his love can have no end. Because God is infinite, his love has no limit. Because God is immense, his love is incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, a shoreless sea. We serve a, a, a prodigal God Who lavishly and generously and incomprehensibly loves and forgives us over and over and over again. So this father who represents the heavenly father and this son who represents the choices to sin against our heavenly father is what we get From this parable. So, as we apply this message, the Father models freedom, the Father models I love you, and the Father models always forgiven. So, which side are you on as you go through this this morning with me? Which side are you on? Now, there's a little thing on the bottom of your notes there. Should come up on the screen. And it just really fits as we pull this together. And it fits really with a passage in the book of John that Jesus said in John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you like the prodigal? He was lost. And yet Jesus shows us that he's the better way. Are you like the prodigal? He was ignorant. Yet Jesus gives us the truth to all our ignorance. Or are you like the prodigal, he was dead. And yet Jesus tells us that he's life, that he's alive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for lessons from your word from the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, as we've looked at this parable this morning, that we can get a glimpse of how much you love us and how much you truly care about us. And Lord, those of us that are older in here today, I pray that we would learn these lessons from from you this morning. That we learn to know how to let go, know how to love, to know how to forgive as you've given us this picture here in Luke 15. So Lord, as we uh, come to you this morning and as we think of the truths of your word, I I trust that have been uh, given out that we, Lord, would, would apply these truths to our love to to ourselves this morning and show the love of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen.